this is destroyed nonchalance. Taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. This week we're talking about media and mediatization. Hello, welcome to Destroyed Nonchalance. Last week, we introduced the topic of media and mediatization, and this week, we discuss its cultural complications. And, uh, Rick and myself, say hi, everybody. Hey. Hi. And uh, we're going to continue on the discussion of mediatization, but for the first part of the podcast, as you might know, we like to kind of catch up on what we've been up to this week. Serena, I know that you've had a lot going on. You had an exciting launch and you had a party and everything that you went to. So do you want to like start telling us about what your week was like? Yeah, so I've had a busy week uh, in London. I mean, I first came down for the uh, Fashion Critical Studies talk, right? which was great. I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that was really good because um, I got to see you know, professors and writers and authors that we've kind of been some, studying. At, at some really know. important writers. Uh, yeah. Some writers and scholars that I use in my own research that I've referenced many times, to see them all up on a panel was a really great opportunity. It was. It was inspiring. It, was, it really was um, to kind of be up close and personal. And I'm really interested in the project itself, like, um, and see where it goes and i'd still like to go to the next one so yeah no me too i definitely do i think rick you feel pretty much the same way with that right yeah that's really good that it was open to the public the way it was and that it wasn't just for students and you didn't you know require an id to go in yeah, and I think it was presented in a way that the general public could at least start getting into it and get introduced to these topics. Do you feel like that, Serena? Or yeah, no, I think it, I think it was good. I mean, at yeah. first I wasn't sure I was able to go because I thought it was just for students. So it was good that it was open to to everyone to be able to that are interested in a subject because to go to something like that you would have to be interested in the subject. And yeah, I think it's it's definitely got legs to become bigger and go more in depth. Yeah, and I think that we should actually set uh, an episode on its own to talk about what happened and our thoughts and what we look forward to from that kind of talk. Yeah, but maybe I'm in the. No, you can talk about it now, but maybe I'm in the minority. I'm not sure. No, no, I agree. There's a lot of content there that (laughs) would be really make for an interesting discussion. I think we could talk for a whole hour and a half just on everything that we were presented with on that night. Yeah, it was good. It was was very good. Um, And it was nice to see people from like when I was at uni uh, just a year ago. So. And to catch up, it was it, it was really good. I was surprised by uh, some of the people that I saw. Again, it was nice, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe at some point we can get them to call in or to participate in the podcast. 
just to catch up and see what's going on with them because some of them are getting back into the um, academia. They're starting their PhD programs or have already started. So it could be an interesting discussion. Yeah, I agree. So Rick, so, what was your week? Yeah. Like? Well, we've been to the talk and we've been hearing about, you know, Serena's uh, things she's been up to. We did miss going to the tube station to pick up a copy. So hopefully Serena has one for us. Oh, yes, yes I, I did. I, did. <laughs> I had a supervisory meeting that day and my mind was just like, elsewhere i mean it was in that and the whole outside world didn't exist yeah and i mean so some of the work that i've been doing it's uh it's a little boring i guess maybe so <laughs> okay troy you're gonna have to cut this out here's me apologizing i <laughs> it, it's just technical and it's a lot of editing and it's a lot of online stuff. So I usually just like to talk about the pop culture stuff that we've been doing. So, for example, we, we went to see Judy. Oh, the movie. Yeah. oh gosh, you're joking. <laughs> oh, my God. I really I was thinking when I come to London next week, I could come and see it with you two because I oh, thought we'll you'd enjoy it. it. You want to we'll see really? it again. Yeah. Oh, would yeah. you? OK, great. Yeah, definitely. Great. Yeah, it's it's really good. And I think. There's a lot of details I, because I always like seeing a scene and especially if a movie set in London, I want to know where they filmed <laughs> and I like recognizing the places. So I got a lot of that from the first sit through, but I would I would watch it again. And great. It's it's a good movie. I've, we don't want to give anything away, but Renee Zellweger did oh such a good job and there were times when yeah. i was watching the scene and i didn't it didn't occur to me that i wasn't watching judy garland in that scene yeah. there something about the lighting the cinematography the way she gets the behaviors and the the movements the gestures all of that down it's just i didn't realize i was watching there were several points where i didn't realize that i wasn't watching judy garland live out part of her life for us that's how good Renee is in this movie. Oh, I can't wait to see it now. I'm glad you liked it. Because it, it does look really good. Really, really good. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing that film. Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, she's definitely a contender for at least an Oscar nomination. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's it's good. We'll pro we'll have to talk about it some more once you watch it. Okay. And one of our next episodes... But that we we really enjoyed that. We haven't uh, we haven't been to go see the Joker movie because it's been all sold out. So we just put that off. I do want to see it. It looks good from the previews. Yeah. I always love a good villain, and this looks like something that would be right up my alley. But not yet. Yeah, I've it's heard good. all sorts about that though. Like yeah, it's about police to... outside, and I don't know. I don't know if that's just hype. Part of me thinks that's hype, but then I've read some reviews about it being quite dark. Like incredibly dark. Yeah, I think it's a delving into some new territory, and I'm so tired of the Joker. But I'll go because Trey wants to go, and you know it. It looks good. It looks like it's saying something different. But I'm really tired of Batman and the Joker and all of that. Just like the hype over 
who's going to play the Joker and who's going to go crazy because they played the Joker. You know, that um, kind of conversation. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just so done with it. I can agree on that level with that. Like, the formula superhero thing is so played out that it needs to really, like, strike something original in order to mm-hmm. make me really excited to go and see it. And just seeing his performance, from what I can tell from the previews, looks like it'll make it worth it. Um, and I haven't read many re- like reviews of it. So, and I don't like to read a lot of reviews before I go and see a movie because I like to experience it on my own and then go back and see what everybody thought of it. So, keep I'm shutting a lot of that out now, but yeah, hopefully we'll see it soon. Yeah, and the BFI London Fest Film Festival has started here, so a lot of the movie premieres like Judy just happened last week, and then of course the movie came out. But Leicester Square right now, almost every night is just packed with red carpet stuff. So it's always exciting when when that's going on. This year we didn't get any tickets, but in previous years we've gotten tickets to like the surprise film where you don't know what film they're going to show you. So you just buy the ticket and you go to the premiere, like to the red carpet. So like one year, it was a Kate Blanchett movie. I think last year or the year before. But... That's always, I always like to go to the talks that they do. And I do like the talks. Yeah, Kate Blanchett was a, a talk we went to last year for Manifesto. Oh, great. Which it's just a really cool opportunity to, to see the actors and to, they go through a, an interview and all that. And it's, it's just a nice, you know, hour. Do, do, you, do you have like membership or something? So how do you get these? Um... I did. I think I've let it lapse. Yeah, we we had it for the last two years. And so the BFI membership gets you the uh, the discounted tickets and it gets you in line first because they do release a public batch. And it's not even very expensive. No. It's not very pricey at all. It's just an oversight that I think that I just let it. Yeah, and some of these talks are so cheap, too, just to go see. I think Robert De Niro was the big one that was having oh, a talk wow. this, this year. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's always interesting to go to, to these talks that the, the South Bank Center sets up around the BFI Festival. Yeah, it sounds really good, actually. I, I went to one talk, and it was Hidden Figures. You know the film Hidden oh. Figures? Yeah. That's really good. How yeah, was that? It, it was really good, and they had like the director and uh-huh. like people there. It was really interesting. It was it was really good, um, and that's how my cousin actually got her idea for the coding black females. Oh, seriously? Yeah, wow, because that's I was like, yeah, because I was like, look, Charlene, you know, you are so like passionate about the subject, and nobody knew about these NASA women, you know, African American NASA women that worked as like you know mathematicians developers at the time and you've got to like connect with other young girls that are interested in it so you've got to do something and that's Mm -hmm. that was the night she came up with the idea of um, coding black females wow that's really interesting to know and if that happened with her no telling how many people were impacted in such a similar way yeah exactly exactly yeah that's great so that's that's i I like those talks for those reasons, and yeah. you just uh, get to know something deeper about the creative minds 
around some of these movies or some of the, the approach to craft. Yeah. So that's always fun when it happens in October. And the last thing I was going to talk about is the politician. We've continued to watch the show and they had this episode. I think you could even watch it just on its own. It was like a 30 minute episode called the voter and oh. <laughs> just wow. Anxiety. Like if you want to understand, I think that they, they captured the voter so well, just the, the major, you know, for like the 2016 election in the U S over half the country didn't bother to it's vote. That voter, I and it's they, that, it's yeah. that voter that that episode kind of focused on because that, you know, there's, there's a school election and everything is happening all around this, this voter. And he's just like, I, I could give a crap about anything that you're saying. I'm living my life. And he, you know, even some of the thoughts that he had, it, it was like a child, I think. So give, give, give me a synopsis of, of what it is again. Okay, so politician is it's a microcosm of the political world put into um, the high school um, oh, okay. presidential campaigning and election. So these people are taking winning the class president super seriously and does a really good job of making it resonate with what you understand politics to be in a larger sense. So what politician, what what the candidate's behavior might be, what the supporting staff and campaign manager's behaviors might be. And in this case, this particular voter that they follow for 30 minutes, and again, it could be a standalone episode. It was done so well. You see what he's like when he wakes up in the morning, what he does when he gets dressed, what he's thinking about on his way out, what the day the daily school experience is like for him, but then also what it's like to be bombarded by political messaging and how candidates come across to these voters and the impact or, you know, quite frankly, the lack of impact that all of this has on the voter who in the end ends up being just as disappointing as you would expect him to be. It was no surprise, but it was just so, I wouldn't say dark, but I would say devastating look at the challenges between what a, a political candidate has in mind about what's going on and that divide with how the voter, a potential voter, or the total non-participant citizen looks at it all and understands the relevance of what it is that they're doing, what the campaigns and all the political operatives are doing. And all of that came across in 30 minutes and in this wow, really? episode. <laughs> and it's yes. just, it, it really, so interesting. <laughs> it really hit. It's just so scary. And I can, because it's so real to me, it's like, wow, that's, that is the clearest explanation that you can give somebody who's paying attention to the process and knows the importance of the vote and how it can change everything. And, you know, follows politics and, and what's going on. It's a really good explanation to that person on why somebody doesn't bother. And just, wow, that, that picture is so depressing. <laughs> but I can definitely see why. And, and why it's important uh, to even make yeah. such a presentation yeah. of this voter, because I don't think a lot of people understand I mean, I certainly wouldn't have made those kind of like mm-hmm. assumptions about most people. 
And again, I haven't like we haven't researched this ourselves, and this could just be one interpretation. But it's so vivid in what it's presenting the viewer with this apathetic citizen. And you never see that. You you just see the explanation of oh, they just don't care, and that's it. The I don't do politics. That's all you hear from these people. But this is a deeper look that I haven't seen anywhere else. So that's why I I thought it was uh, good to mention it. That's my week. That's your week. Both of you. (laughs) Well, you've had had more interesting weeks than I have. I mean, in one sense, because I've been researching um, and again, I've gotten my hands on a couple of books and presented these opportunities to that have actually kind of shifted the way I'm thinking about my project. And it's been a challenge to my original understanding of my project in a way that um, I wasn't expecting. And it's come about through um, you know these books, one designed for the Pluriverse. That's uh, but also... It's because of themes that came up during that panel discussion, the critical fashion panel discussion. And and both of them, and, you know, also the journaling that I do every day that kind of juxtaposes my research theory with my lived experience. And I've tried to make that interactive. And it's making me appreciate the social relevance of a PhD study in a new way. I understood it on paper before, but now that I've actively tried to integrate what I'm learning and what the concerns are into my daily experience, it's shifted what I understand my project to be in a good way, but it's also more challenging than I have to bring this up with my supervisor. So Um, when you you say interactive, what do you mean? It makes, the journal makes it more interactive? I think of it as as melting down the duality between what I'm sitting out there and yeah. the life that I live and rather in switching it over to becoming something, I'm studying something that I'm enmeshed in because I'm just a human functioning in society. And I don't have a privileged perspective from outside of it all. I'm enmeshed in it. I'm impacted by it. And my investment is something that I need to understand. And, um, it creates a sense of bias in me. It can trigger knee-jerk judgments and moral judgments and um, just, you know, things that I need to put under the microscope and understand. There actually have been a few audiobooks that I'm listening to that are helping me understand that. Um, and it's, again, it plays on this idea and the importance of empathy and connection and one of them is um, The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. But I've also been listening to um, some of Brene Brown's books because oh, I like... Oh, yes, I love her. I love her. Yeah, and she backs up so much of what she says with actual research and she connects it with other research, with other researchers. And not in an overly academic way, but in a credibly academic way. So um, what she says really makes sense. And both of those, I can see an immediate connection with something like actor network theory and, you know, how I'm going to go out into the field, but how I'm already sort of in the field. And I can't see myself as disconnected from that. And I can't pretend that I'm a completely objective observer, especially if I don't question any of that. 
And then there's this book that I've started listening to as well, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which, you know, for its title, you know, its title aside, it's been really helpful as well. Um, understanding connections to problems and um, meaningfulness in a way that I wasn't expecting. So all of those things have come into play and, again, activated my research into something that's more socially aware. And, um, yeah, and it's not exactly how I started approaching the project, but it's how it's developed meaningfulness for me. I think that's I think that's huge. I really do. It's transformative, but I, again, I, I've never been through the PhD process before, so I don't know if that's just something obvious that all PhD people go through, or if it's something that should that have already happened. So I don't have any, um, you know, anything to compare it to. I don't have much context for that. So well, I, I, said, I, I understand it in a sense because. I know that's kind of what I was having to deal with when I was doing my MA. So I think right. it just happens, you know, when and when you need it, basically, because it's right. supporting you. And it is it's, it is transformative, right? And this research that you become a observant participant within right. your own work, you kind of look outside while you're inside of what you're doing. And it's important so that you have a holistic piece of academic work. I think it makes sense. And somebody like Brenny Bronwyn, which is, which is, which is somebody I found when I was doing my MA, and, um, yeah, her work is really good and it is transformative. When you hear her TED Talks and, like, where she's coming from, somebody who is academic and is like almost changing the way people see see their work and see themselves as right. one and the same. Right. And you, it's the strangest thing. You know, I've heard of her before, mm-hmm. and it sounded something like, oh, that's good in theory. I'll eventually get around to it. But, you know, listening to the RuPaul po- podcast, he makes reference to her language so often. Without mentioning her name specifically, I don't think... But he talks about um, that rumbling that happens in the arena and then the people who are in the cheap seats. And he references a lot of her ideas throughout like his podcasts. So when I first started listening, it was just for that reason. It's like, oh, OK. I mean, I appreciated what she was saying for that immediate kind of entertainment based connection. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, this these ideas might be good to incorporate into my journaling and that type of thing. But Again, like just her academic rigor, her research-based um, approach to what it is that she's talking about has made so much of a difference and gives what she's saying so much credibility, at least in my mind. And yeah, yeah so it's, it's shaped. But that's been my week, basically, is um, sort of absorbing and re, um, reconfiguring how I'm using theory and... It's been a bit reflective and, you know, haven't made huge strides in reading a lot of new material, but I've been <laughs> rearranging my knowledge trees and my mind maps and that type of thing. So, yeah, that's been my week. Yeah, um, it sounds like you've done, you've done loads and it's like really important, you know, so that you can fulfill your PhD because it's, it's an ebb and flow. It's an up and down road you know studying so i think it's right. great what you've done you've done a lot a lot more than 
than you probably think. That would be nice. And if Jane says that after like I talk with her next time, then that would be like especially good. No, but no, those always go well. I'm kind of joking on that, but um, and when, you know we're talking about this investment and um, being involved in you know the observer participant. I think that really leads really well into this mediatization talk that we could go into the next segment. So if we want to finish up this part and then take a break and then we'll start into segment two. Is that good? Yeah, that works. Okay, Okay. yeah. Problematizing it, but you know, but also seeing it in terms of the benefits and the costs, right? Um, So, um, Rick, when you think of mediatization and its impact on society or impact on your life, like what are, what do you think of? Like what comes to mind? Well, especially recently, at least after the 2016 election, it's just a constant bombardment of headlines over and over where you can't, you can't get away from it. You can't stop reading the news you can't stop seeing what's next so i just think overwhelming and i think a lot of people are being turned off by media because of that overwhelming stance that they understandably had to take because there there is so much news and when you're tied to a 24-hour news cycle you just have to keep talking (laughs) you have to keep talking about something so it, so the media people, like yeah, they have to keep talking. Yeah. So just on a just on a personal level, I have some points on some of the issues that I thought about, but right, just on a personal level, I just feel overwhelmed. I still take a lot of it in. I haven't shut it down and shut it out. But before 2016, for example, when Obama was in office, right, there was a break. There wasn't a lot of alarming daily things that just kept shooting out at your face. And you had some of this when Bush was around. So that's when I was paying attention to the news a lot and all of the stuff that was happening with the Iraq war and, you know, everything that happened during the the Bush administration, the, the, the second Bush. And then when Obama went into office, there was a brief break where, you know, there was some rest because there wasn't so much craziness happening. There was, of course, the financial crisis and everything that went down there, but with the banks. Right. So you're mainly thinking of it in terms of political media. And is this something that's coming from like the, the major publishers of news? Or are you talking about also encountering political, like social media content, for example, people that you're friends with or like social media. Well, it's apps. everywhere. It's in everything that you watch. When we go somewhere, the TV's on, the news is on. When you go into Twitter, the news is on. Headlines are on, alarming headlines. When you go into Facebook, alarming headlines. When you go into Instagram, alarming headlines. It's everything that you see or that I interact with, the 
there's alarming headlines everywhere. Forest is burning down. The environment is crashing. Some corruption times a thousand is happening in the U.S. with the current uh, whatever you would call him because he's not a legitimate president. Right. So it's happening everywhere. And I can understand why people would shut that down and would try to either defriend people who are oversharing all of that on Facebook. Right. Because you want to get that out of your life for a minute or you only want to see the headlines that interest you and that fit your story. So, so, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead, Serena. Yeah, so so it's almost, Rick, when you're talking about, like, the Obama administration back then, it's like you have a nostalgia of when things were less, what, sensationalized, so so it's less bombardment of information. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, because I'm looking at mediatization through politics and news media so it's how i mean the 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 definition of mediatization that i found is how the media shapes and frames the conversation around politics and society right and it it includes social media and People who are just putting out posts and tweets that aren't necessarily headlines because they're not coming from big publishers, but they're mediatizing their political activism in a way that's also, are you saying it's it's bombarding and it's flooding what you're able to take in? It's flooding your media consumption? Well, it's everywhere. I haven't shut it down. I, I haven't been at the point where I just need to turn it all off. But I can definitely see it as a as an issue on me personally. Yeah, yeah, I can see. I I understand that because you know we're um, consuming information all the time from social media, etc., as well as the news. You know, as well as TV, then people in the street, newspapers, magazines. It is <laughs> it is a constant cycle, you know, that we're on, but. Also, the good side of it is that we we do have we have a choice to kind of choose, like what you said, Rick, to not necessarily step away, but choose something else, which I think mm-hmm. is important and will be the next cycle, I think, of engagement. And it is, it is actually happening now. It's like because it's what I do is I choose what news and what news I decide to take in what news i decide to consume oh my god there's so much out there you there's have to, so um, much yeah you, like have you have to, to. be discern you have to be discerning yeah because if you cut out the wrong sources when you shoot when they're actually delivering relevant information you're doing yourself a disservice exactly but- and and also you have to be able to read between the <laughs> lines i think that's something that that's i've honed by just kind of seeing you know if i watch read the daily mail i can tell what they're actually saying compared to the words <laughs> on the page <laughs> do you know right. what i mean i can see between the lines and i must find i must admit like you know the american political i mean it's bad over here <laughs> i'm not saying we're any better but the american political system and how they mediatize things i mean it's so uh, bipartisan it's so like tribal 
left yeah. and right. Like no matter what new, because you can't even watch CNN without watching a bit of what the what Fox say. So when I watch Fox, a two minute segment on Fox, I'll look for CNN to kind of balance it out. I won't listen to one. Um, I won't listen to just one video on a subject. I have right. to see both sides. And then the way that people talk and then the comments underneath, you know, people are very kind of very Republican or very Democrat, you know, left or right. I don't even read those. I, I it's don't crazy. Read, it's crazy. No, I don't go into the, that's like the gutter of the internet for me. Yeah. It's like, so, so, it's like the, it, the it content, is. the comments that everyone has. You have like the real work that's being done, hopefully, in the article itself. And then you have like all the, like you have the, like the, observers take yes. on it and then uh, yeah but i think that's you're touching on something that's really important both of you because rick you're talking about that ability to take a break during the obama years but i think that trump got elected because there was a lot there were a lot of people during the obama years who weren't taking a media break and they were just as active I don't know if it's more or less than we are right now in response to all the Trump stuff that's going on. Like something got Trump elected and it didn't happen after a period of silence. It just, the activity wasn't in the media that we were paying attention to. And I think that that bombardment that we're experiencing now, that level of anxiety, that, you know, that was all happening around Obama during that time. But we didn't have any reason to buy into it it didn't affect us and when it would bubble up to the surface i think it was because of like congressional um obstruction and you know the difficulty of obama to actually create the change that he wanted to change that you know that he wanted to make well yeah i mean the storyline on the fox side of the spectrum and the right was that obama was a demon <laughs> that you know that's how radical that other side was and while i was you know busy taking a break from politics uh the other side was just amping it up yeah and demonizing and making it all crazy so i mean that's one of the big issues i have with what's happened so i think that mediatization is being turned on its head and while it's supposed to shape and frame a conversation around politics and society, I think it's been bastardized and weaponized by governments and political parties to serve their purpose, to divide the public and to confuse the public and cause chaos. I think that with fake news and that label, you can justify the story you want, the right. story that will further your agenda or keep you in your safe bubble. So while mediatization is supposed to facilitate the conversation, it's been used to stop certain people from having the conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, how can you meaningly, meaningfully participate in all the conversations that are vying for your attention? After a while, I mean, if you're not able to, if you're not able to rationalize the choice of what you want to consume, and selectively focus, and instead are taking everything in, it's just a, com a constant bombardment, <laughs> then how are you supposed to make an intelligent 
choice about anything. How are you supposed to make an intelligent contribution to any of these conversations? And right now, we're only talking about politics because mediatization, it affects all realms of culture where media is involved. So you can talk about, you know, the mediatization of health. You can talk about the mediatization of fashion. You can talk about the mediatization of being a gamer. And all of these in any one moment are vying for attention. And for me, I mean, yeah, there are all kinds of political problems that comes that come from being in your political media bubble because it is a mediatized world. But then when you combine it with all of the other mediatized worlds that you're enrolled in, then it's even doubly, um, or I would say like, it was multiplied. That challenge of intelligent participation is just multiplied exponentially. And you know, going back to that conversation, that episode about the voter, all of everything that he was paying attention to, whether it was porn or music or whatever it was, those are all forms of those are all mediatized worlds that are vying for his attention to the point where it became overwhelming and his brain just went numb because after a while, just your basic physiological needs need to be met. And there's so much clutter and there's so much noise that you it's hard to even connect with what your needs are. There's so much bombardment. And we're talking about politics, but in so many different areas, there are these overlapping worlds that it's, it's becoming crucial to make a choice but what deserves attention and what doesn't? Yeah, and, and I think uh, sorry, I think it's that it's it's definitely interesting because because what the scary bit is then is it is actually so almost anything that you do choose to engage in, it is almost a vote. If that makes sense, so it is. It do, do you see what I'm? Yeah, because you're participating hmm. and because it's online now, because it's mediatized. Somebody knows that you've clicked on it somewhere that is logged as a statistic. Is that you're so if you if you're if I look at Fox and then I look at CNN, they know that I'm engaging, and so they will give me more. So it is about choice, and I think that has to be made more important. You have to be discerning in what you watch, what you do consume, right, you know, and, and how it affects you. Yeah, I mean, and it plays out. You know that voting process, the way you describe it, it's, you know, Amazon is tracking it and Instagram is tracking it and Google is tracking it and you're voting all over the place to the point where if you're not paying attention, your experience of at least media reality is totally shaped by what you've done in the past. And I don't even know how easy it is to escape it. How do you get outside the algorithm and how do you break outside the bubble? Um, because, I mean, how do you undo your search history? How do you undo your purchase history? And how do you undo your viewing history with any yeah. of these outlets? Yeah, and it has its own history. It has its own history, its own life outside of your own reality. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when everything in life and living is commoditized. <laughs> so it's just taking over our lives and we can no longer just live in the moment. Yeah, it's lots of and moments. step out of that. And although those moments are for sale on Instagram and even the moments that we ourselves create, the the moments that we put out, they're a story that we make. 
no, it's for people true. to consume. I, I think and we want them to like it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, you see, see, I'm a little bit different. Like I am, um, for me, like, especially like with my Instagram, that's, that's just impulse. That's, um, you know, and if people like it, it's great, but that's not my first instinct. Yeah. For you know. mine, it's, for my Instagram, it's a journal Yeah, that I want to keep. So that I can look back. I don't really care about likes or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. We we have to help. Okay, we have this mediatization, but that's what I'm getting at. It's like there is a core of us as humans that that want to, you know, express right. rather than engage. So you you have to kind of you have to honor that that actually we're communicating to ourselves. Yes. And you have to remember that. You're the author of this, of what comes out of you. And you're the curator of what you take in. And as long as you remember that you can sit in the driver's seat, then like, we'll find, I mean, you can put something out there knowing that you want likes, or you can put something out there knowing that you don't want likes, but you need to remember that you're sitting in the driver's seat making choices. And you don't want to be like the drunk driver with his eyes closed, just driving willy-nilly down the highway. Like you want to wake up. You want to open your eyes and start making like choices that make sense for you. That is going to keep you alive and make you happy because there's no way to opt out of it. Yeah. And I mean, even involuntarily, we all know it. We, I mean, I can say I'm not there for likes or, or anything like that. But when they happen, it's nice because there's chemicals in your brain that, you know, when some when something that you do is very liked and there's a tension around it, it makes you happy. And it's like opening a present, you know, oh, okay, that's gotten a good attention. I mean, I know that you you say you do it for instinct, but now that it's your instinct has created this diaspora Instagram that's very popular and it very people engage with and it. It deserves an audience. Yeah, and it and deserves I want it to have like impact that it but it makes you happy that you know, it's had that kind of response, right? Or Yeah, no, of course, absolutely. I mean, I, get, I still get, I kind of don't look at the likes, but I see that people are liking it. And I guess the, the most important thing is when people speak, when, when they comment, mm-hmm, right. I think that's what I like the most. And the comments are... You get a lot of comments. Yeah, the comments a, are what I like love is to just engage. A with. Like, right? Yeah, there's yeah. nothing past that. But the comments, you know, when people take that extra step, as little as it might seem, I mean, to take a, a second to comment on something, that's worth more than just a tap. You know, definitely. A tap. I mean, I appreciate all the likes, of course, but the comments <laughs> when I get to kind of speak back and. You know, when you when you get to engage with somebody yeah. because of something I've put out there, that's it. That's what makes me happy. Does that sure. shape? Do you think about those interactions at all when you make the next post? No, no, I, I couldn't. If I was, if 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 I was to think about how, and it has stopped me because uh, I do it less now. So if I think about like what people might think, then it's then it's not happening. Then mm-hmm. I'm stymied for a while. You know, so it, you're not actively crafting an impact. No, okay. that's no, that's impossible for me. Okay. 
yeah, because the impact seems to be so resonant that, yeah, I was just wondering if you're... And I like that because that's, I know that there's certain smart things that you can do in order to gain an audience and to, you know, feed certain crumbs that will make things grow. But I, I like just taking it at what you want to do and then people can find you if, if it meets what they need. And I like, you know, some of that non-structure because it just leaves it open for the unknown and the unknown to me in that sense is exciting. And I like that in this podcast as well, just, you know, some leave someone known and leave some unstructured stuff so that your brain can go places you weren't expecting because for me, it's it's almost that marketing dynamic that's the more like energetic side of it all, and I like to like play and experiment with calculating impact. And I'm the author of what's going to go out, and you might encounter something, but it's your encounter with it that might be the most interesting part to me. I really, as always, I've loved the conversation. Yeah. And I thank you for participating and just going at it with me on this. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners. Have right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We put it out weekly. And follow us on social media. We're on every platform Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. Thank <laughs> you.